Ephesians 5 verses 25 uh, through 27 is where we will begin our time and well we'll spend our whole time this morning in Ephesians 5 verses 25 through 27. As Danny was reading, I hope that you noticed, as he emphasized, uh, these particular verses, starting at 25, are a command to husbands. And as the last few weeks, we've been spending our time looking at these passages and looking at the role of wives and God's call on wives. This morning, we will start looking at God's call to husbands, his command there. And as Daniel reminded us of the context of Ephesians, the doctrinal truth of your calling, that you have been saved by Christ and your hope is in him, we have a shift in the book of Ephesians that moves to how to apply that doctrinal truth in everyday life. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, you can see at the top of your handout, Paul makes this shift and he says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And from chapter 4, verse 1 on, there is again and again instruction in how to apply the truth of Scripture to your life, how to live as one who is called. For husbands and wives, this is no different. It is not a matter of five steps to a better marriage. There is not a workbook to figure out your personality type or your love language or anything else to fix your marriage. Your marriage is to be a constant meditation on Christ. For a Christian, marriage is not less than anything else in life. It is a constant reflection on the glory of God, His grace, and His design. God did not bring you together as a married couple just for your own good. He brought you together that you would have an intimate relationship that reflects and reminds you of the grace of Christ in both your failures in it because of sin and the joy and the blessing in it because of the grace of God's design. And so as husbands and wives, how do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? Well, it is first and foremost, we constantly reflect on the truth of the gospel. And in doing that, it is not just vague and ambiguous, but there are specific commands. We saw that there was a command to wives. Wives are to submit to their husband. And we walked through why that is and God's design and his declaration and reasoning for that. And this morning, we're going to look at husbands. How do you then walk in a manner worthy of Christ's calling? So let me read the passage for us again, and then I will pray. And then we will continue looking at Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, that husbands are called to love their wives. Father, we thank you for your grace and faithfulness to us. So thank you, Lord, that you have not just left us commands. Father, as we uh, have rebelled in sin, you have not just left us law that we cannot follow. Uh, you have not just left us to our own devices, but in grace, in providence, you have cared for us and the design of all things, knowing our rebellion, you have purposed and planned to display your love and grace and justice over all creation. Thank you, Father, for letting us uh, be part of that in the grand scheme of creation, that you are working all things. I thank you for your intimate love for us as individuals, that you call and purpose and give grace to us to live and to know you. I thank you for your care over all things. I pray, Father, because of your love for your people shown in your Son, that you would be gracious this morning, that you would show faithful as you are to change the hearts of your people. 
I pray you would give grace that we would hear your word and seek to live and apply your word. Lord, that we would not be conformed to our worldly passions and desires, but we would be trained by your grace to be faithful and love you. And we thank you we cannot do this in our own strength, uh, but you have provided through Christ. Pray you would give grace as we seek to honor and glorify you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 5, 25, let me read for you again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We're going to look at this in two parts. Part number one is on the front side of your handout. It is husbands. This is your command. Love your wife. Part two is on the back side of your handout. Husbands, this is how you define and execute your command to love your wife. These two points purposed out of the text. In Ephesians 5.25, we see the only command to husbands here. The command is to love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. A man must love his wife and he must do so devotedly. As you look at Ephesians 5, you'll notice at the end of the passage, as Danny read it for us this morning, it quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In the design of God, He purposed in the creation of Adam and Eve in marriage. God did not look down and see what was going on with Adam and Eve and think, Oh, I created two different things. How are they going to work together? What kind of relationship should they have? He intentionally created man and woman in the relationship of marriage. Marriage holds high esteem in God's uh, design and honor because he designed it specifically, as we see in Ephesians, to be a constant reflection of Christ and his church. Marriage is not an invention of man. It is not a decision of relationships. It is not just a way for two people to communicate a mutual and uh, exclusive love toward one another. It is specifically designed for a man and a woman to participate intimately, both emotionally and physically, as a constant reflection of Christ in His church. And that was God's design and purpose prior to sin. As we see the creation of woman, God has taken Adam and he said, as we looked at last week, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he created Eve. He creates her from his rib. At verse 22, it says, And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, like all good men do, he can't help but burst into song. He doesn't know what to do. He wants to sing about this lady. Don't be deceived by a man that just sings, but don't be a man that's scared to sing. It's important. So she says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Adam rejoices when she is created. She's taken from his rib and given to him. 
She is a gift to him. She is the completion of man that he exists in the image of God for the glory of God. And it is good that man and woman are together in marriage. And then Adam uh, is told by, or rather Moses writes to tell us uh, that this creation has purpose for all of us. Look at verse 24. Because of this creation, there is consequence or plan for the future. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. It stops and gives instruction. It says, therefore, because of this design by God, because this is God's design, because God said it is not good for Adam to be alone, and God created Eve to be with Adam, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and he shall cleave to his wife. Notice what's going on here. The marital relationship is prioritized over any other familial relationship. Notice God did not create a mother and a father and give them a child. Notice he did not create a child and give that child parents. He did not create a woman and give her a strong circle of friends because that's what she needs. She did not create a man and give him some bros to do things with and hurt himself with because that's what he needs. He did not create a generational family of grandparents and parents and children. No, God had specific intention, and He created intentionally man and woman in marriage. Though all those relationships would exist, those, all those relationships are purposed in it. God was not confused what was going to happen. But He created intimately the relationship of marriage as a priority. And then He communicates that priority in how all generations will come. Is just Adam supposed to be attached to Eve as he was physically given a rib or taken from him and made into a woman? Is just their relationship to be that which is intimate and prioritized over all others? Because Eve was truly made of Adam. But in real marriage, you know, you're much closer to your parents. Your mother is a far greater blessing to you than your husband or your wife. She understands you. She gets you. She raised you from a small child. No, God makes clear declaration. He says, this relationship is the priority. The creation of Adam and Eve was intentional in proclaiming that marriage is to be a relationship of priority. All other familial relationships pale to marriage. Husbands are commanded to love their wives because the wife is to be the woman that he holds fast to, the woman he cleaves to. It is the relationship that is intended to intimately unite him into knowledge of Christ in a way that other relationships aren't. There's great blessing in parents. There's great blessing in many relationships and friendships. But there is design and intention specifically for this to be the most intimate of human relationships. And so we see here because of that, well, we don't see it here in Ephesians, but we know in the design of Ephesians, this was intentionally designed because a man is to love his wife. He is commanded to do so. It is rooted in creation. There is no shame, no fear, no insecurity between Adam and Eve. They are perfectly fit for one another. They are created intimately as a pattern for the future. And for that reason, this relationship is above all relationships. 
So a man is to love his wife higher than any other love on earth. He is supposed to love her. She is not to compete for his love. Uh, She is to be loved. Christians are required to love all, but a man has a particular responsibility in his love for his wife. A man has a particular responsibility. You look at point two or point one B on your handout. A husband has God-given responsibility other men don't carry. As you look at Scripture, there are often commands given, like children obey your parents, right? So children are commanded to obey their parents. How does that apply to Al Dyer? He's not a child. It doesn't apply, right? Husbands are commanded to love their wives. Well, how does that apply to Danica Salcedo? It might someday. It doesn't right now. Right, Danica? Unless you got to tell me something. I had somebody show up this morning. A whole bunch of people are like, whoa, you got married? Is Danica one? No, not Danica. No. This applies specifically to Pedro Guzman. Because it says, husbands, love your wives. This is commanded to men who have wives. This is a specific command. So while all Christians have responsibility under the commands of Christ, there are in your specific roles, specific commands to your responsibility before Christ. So when it says, submit to one another, that is a Christian command to all show preference to one another. But when it says, wives, submit to your husband, that is an added or a clear responsibility to wives of their role to live. And when it says, husbands, love your wives, it is a clear responsibility that other men don't carry. Paul makes this clear. If you look at your handout or 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul is encouraging the church of Corinth uh, that in his opinion, it is a good idea to remain single. He's telling them, you can serve Christ, and this is a difficult time, and it is good. It is not required of you to get married. I know many people feel like their life is unfulfilled if they are not married. But Paul makes it very clear, no, there might be good reason not to get married. Because a single man has an availability of responsibility that a married man does not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Right? I don't want you to have other worries and frustrations on you. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. A man must consider his wife. He has a split interest in the responsibility that God has given him. It is not that a man who has a wife doesn't have to worry about what God has commanded him. He has to recognize that in the commands are also included his care for his wife. Right? A few short months ago, Pedro could spend his time. I'm so glad Pedro showed up this morning when I'm preaching to my husband. He's just going to be all of my illustrations. <laughs> Pedro did not have the concerns of Leslie. He did not have to consider what are the consequences of my action before God for my wife. 
He was free to serve the Lord with zeal and passion, to be responsible with what Christ has given him in a way that a man with a wife cannot. He did not have to have overt concern about one other individual and how she's going to seek after Christ, how he's going to provide for her, how he's going to care for her. He was free to be the first man here, to be the longest man at meetings, to be there for the church, to pursue those things in a way that he is going to have to wrestle and struggle like all of you men as husbands will. How do I serve Christ and be faithful to what Christ has commanded me in serving my wife? It is not a matter that you now have lost the responsibilities of normal Christians. You have chosen as a man to take on the responsibility of caring for Christ's daughter, one of them, in a specific way, to love her in such a way that she better understands who Christ is. There is a devotion to her that must be a split interest. It is not that Christ plays a secondary role in his life to his to his wife. It is because Christ is his primary, he listens to the commands of Christ, and therefore he must divide his interest with his wife. He cannot think, how do I just live for Christ? He must now think, how do I care for this woman in the world, and how do we both live for Christ? He is united to her as one flesh. He has taken the burden of responsibility to consider her in all things. Not only must we stand firm in the covenant he has made with his wife because God hates divorce, but he must not just stay with her, he needs to consider her. His interests must be there. So often men will use it as a joke. Some man probably said it seriously at some point, and that's why the rest of us joke about it. Uh, but it's a, it's a poor joke. The man says, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. That's not the command to husbands. The command is, love your wife. And the command is specific. You must love her in such a way that continues. God is not just watching you to see if you will make a marital covenant and be faithful to it. He loves you in such a way that he has designed you men to function in that covenant to glorify him, to honor him. To bring him glory. You are not left just with the command to communicate love once, but in 1 Peter 3, husbands must live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is not, I told you I love you and I will let you know when anything changes. This is, this relationship has changed everything in your life. You must now live under the consideration of another human in an intimate responsibility in a way you don't hold for everyone else in a general way. You must live with her and you must do so in an understanding way. And God loves you enough that if you don't, he will treat you like a good father and he will say, no, I'm not listening to what you say. You need to stop and listen to what I'm saying. Men, do you ever have that issue with your children? You're trying to give them instruction and they're going, oh, but, 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 uh. no, you don't understand. And he punched me. He, no, 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 no. Stop. I'm not here to hear what you have to say right now. I'm here to tell you, you need to listen to what mom and dad have said. Husbands, God has the same kind of loving fatherhood for you. 
When you are not living with your wife in an understanding way, it says God will hinder your prayers. He will tell you, stop. Stop talking to me and start listening to what I'm saying. Husbands are not just to communicate and commit in love once, but they are to live in love in an understanding way. There is also the negative side of that in Colossians. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It is not just that you must be understanding of her in faith, but you must repent of being harsh with her as though she was yours to rule and own, not yours to nourish and cherish as Christ does his church. To care for her. And so a man has the responsibility of loving his wife as Christ loves the church, right? The command here is love your wife. And I've tried to give you some background knowledge and, and purpose and why that is and how God has commanded it. But here specifically in Ephesians, he goes on to give us a description of what that should look like. How do we define love? If a man is commanded to love his wife, how do we define what that love looks like? Ephesians is very helpful in that way. It gives us a description. Starting at verse 25, it says, As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It goes on, but you don't want me to go on because we could be here like the Puritans if I did. So this morning we are going to stop there at verse 27. How does he do this? How does he love her? If you want to look at the back of your handout. Husbands, this is how you define and execute the command to love your wife. Christ has given you a charge, men. It is to love your wife. If you are a husband, you are not just commanded to love all Christians as all Christians are. You are not just commanded to be faithful to the gathering as all Christians are. You are not just commanded to submit to the government as all Christians are. You are not just commanded to be conformed to the image of Christ like all Christians are. You are commanded to love this woman. How do you do so? It is overwhelming. I'm not speaking as a man on some pedestal to proclaim to you, I know how to do this perfectly. I'm speaking to a man who pleads with Christ every day, help me, Father. Help me to do this. And he is gracious in that he has not left us to just guess in our own devices of what love looks like. He has proclaimed to us in the word and manifest in Christ. So he says, husbands are to love their wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Verse 25, husbands are to love intentionally and sacrificially. Look at verse 25 in your text. I'm not making stuff up. I'm just trying to point you to the word of God. How is a husband to love his wife? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He did so intentionally. Christ died for his church, and he died for his church with intention. It was not a spur-of-the-moment idea or plan. Christ did not come to earth thinking, I've just got to get down there, get some boots on the ground, and figure out a strategy. What am I going to do? No, Christ intentionally gave himself. He promised, and he fulfilled his promise. He purposely and preemptively, he initiates 
Christ's love for his church is one that takes a position of leadership and authority. Christ initiates love. Christ does not wait around for the church to love him. God so loved the world. He didn't sit up and wait and say, when will the world love me? No, he so loved the world, he gave his only son. And Christ so loved his church, he didn't wait around and say, if I have to. He planned and purposed and gave himself for her. Christ initiates in love, and men, you ought to also, like he does. Ephesians 5, 2 told us this. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us, who is us, all of us, the church, written to the Ephesians specifically, and for all of us as Christians. He loved his church and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. This isn't just for husbands to reflect on. This is the truth for all Christians. How do you define love as Christ? Intentional. He gave himself up. 1 John 4.10 This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins. 1 John 1.4.19 The most clear verse on the intentional love of God. It says, We love why? Because He first loved us. He is intentional in His love. A love that would die sacrificially is a love that lives sacrificially. Christ's sacrifice for His church started long before the cross. It is climaxed in the cross. There is nothing like the cross that points to Christ's love for His church. But He humbled Himself before He even went to the cross. He humbled himself to become a man. Philippians 2.8 tells us, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Christ's love for his church does not start at the cross. The cross was not an accidental action that happened. He came and lived as a perfect man, sacrificing all that he was as God on the cross, but living all as man in a body, both God and man. I'm not going to get into the hypostatic union of Christ this morning. Uh, if you don't know what that is, look it up and ask somebody else how to spell it. And But we see that Christ living as a man, what does he do? He suffers as a man. It says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Christ came to suffer on the cross, but his suffering started before the cross. This is the God who made all things, whom all things exist for, who stands above the heavens and the earth, who all things invisible and visible are his, all dominions, all authority, all creation is his. And what does he do? He becomes a baby. Raised by a mother and a father, he created living with brothers and sisters who I'm sure mocked and ridiculed him. Living in a city that wouldn't accept him as the Savior who made them and was coming to die for them. Christ's love is an active love, not an apathetic love. Christ loves his church actively, not apathetically. Christ loves in a I-was-born-ready style of love. Not a, I'm bored and reactive love. Husbands, you are to love your wife in an active way, in a born ready way of this is what I woke up to do this morning. 
you know that. I use that phrase because as men, we use it, right? If a man asks me, are you ready to smoke some meat? I was born ready. Let's do this. You want to go fishing and catch some bluefin? I was born ready to eat that bluefin. I don't know the fishing part, but I want to eat that thing. Right? You want to meet with men and, and go through some good books? You want to do this? I was born ready for that. I, I love that. You have things you pursue that you were born ready for. What interest of the world dominates your thoughts, men? Finance, the markets? Is it politics and leadership? Is it work and wages? Is it outdoors and athletics? What dominates you? What were you born ready for? What do you love in that way that you are not reactive? You are not apathetic. You're not waiting for that to happen. You are looking for ways to make it happen. It is a born ready love. You're after it. Christian, let me encourage you. You are not just born ready. You have been reborn to be ready to live the commands of Christ. Husbands, you have been reborn not to live for the passions of the earth, to live for the commands of Christ. What do you live born ready for? Maybe you need to put to death what you were born ready for and listen to Christ when he says you have been reborn for this. This is his command. Do you have biblical command for things that demand your passion? Do you give yourself and have intentional thoughts and action and investment to do things that you don't have a clear command from Christ to do? Let me encourage you, men, you have a clear command from Christ where your interests should be divided. If you are a husband, it should be divided toward your wife. Your interest should be toward her. You should be reborn ready to live with her in love and faithfulness. And that is going to demand quite a bit of you. That's going to come with repentance and tears. That's going to come with humility and needing again to look at your life and lead to say, what do I need to do? A man who fears God is not just a man who says, I would die for my wife. It is a man who dies every day to say, how has Christ called me to live for him and his commands? And if you are a husband, one of those very clear commands to you is love your wife. Love her intentionally. It is not sin to have hobbies. I want to be clear. It's not sin to have things you enjoy. You enjoy. The Word of God is clear. You have freedom in Christ. But we often confuse what that freedom exists for. And I want to point you two places. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24 is very helpful. As Paul is talking about our freedom in Christ, that we have the freedom to eat whatever you want. You want to eat steak, you want to eat tuna, you want to eat tofu. You can eat whatever you want, right? You can eat really horrible foods and you can eat really great foods. You have a freedom in Christ. But that freedom is not what you exist for. You exist for Christ. And your freedoms can sometimes become competing. Rather than living to be trained by Christ, you're just giving yourself to the passion of the world in the name of your freedom for Christ. So 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 are very helpful because Paul reminds Christians who are wrestling with their freedoms. And he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. 
Now, husbands, if, if Paul, under the divine spirit, is writing this to Christians in relationship to their neighbors, and he's saying, you need to consider your life, though all things are lawful for you, not all things are helpful. Doesn't mean you have to do them just because they're allowed. Though all things are lawful for you, not all things build up others. It doesn't mean you have to do them just because they're allowed. But let this be your filter. What loves my neighbor? What is good for him? Let me not seek my own of what is pleasurable to me, but let me think in Christ, how can this honor others? Now, Christian men, I want to ask you, if that's the way God feels about your neighbors, what do you think his intention is with your wife? The woman that he's commanded, if you do not live with her in an understanding way, he will tell you, no, stop talking. I'm not listening to that prayer. Yes, I hear you. I'm God. But you need to hear me. I'm God. 1 Peter 2, 16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as servants of God. And so why do I say this? To start fights between husbands and wives over hobbies? To say, hey, here you go, ladies. Here's your ammunition to go for it. He needs to give in to your hobbies? No, what, what are you going to spend your life passion for? Well, if your hope is in Christ, this is for men and women. This is for all Christians. All things might be lawful for you in Christ, but not all things are helpful. That is the principle in which you need to function. Though Christ might allow these things, I need to listen to his commands and think, what things help me to fulfill those commands? Husbands, this is the weight of leadership. This is what you are to initiate in. To be sacrificial in this. You must initiate and sacrifice for a purpose. You must be about this. So what do you do? Do you just give up your hobbies and take up hers? No more hunting. We're a knitting family now. That's what we're doing. No, that's not the command here. This is hard work. This is great responsibility. This is leadership for that responsibility. And that leadership of responsibility falls on you, men. It is not you say, I'm giving up all of my passion so I can live for her passion. It is I am putting death my passion because I am called to lead this family and all who see me toward Christ. I'm living for Him. I don't have five easy steps for that. I've got one. Dwell on Christ. Rest in Christ. Look at His Word. Think about what He's done. Think about what He said. And analyze all of your life through the clear commands you have from Him. This morning, one, love your wife. Do so intentionally as Christ has loved the church. And do so sacrificially. Not this, that you would die for her, but that you are purposed to die for her every day. How do you do so? You don't just give up your hobbies for her hobbies. You love like Christ has loved His church. Look with me again at verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And then we see at verse 26 the description of what that giving up intentional sacrificial love is purposed in. It says that He might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That love is intentional. It is sacrificial. 
and it is purposed in sanctification. Husbands are to love their wives for the purpose of sanctification. He intentionally loved her. He gave himself. He sacrificially loved her. He didn't just give himself. He gave himself up for her. But he also purposely loved her that she would be sanctified. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is a love that is sanctifying. You must initiate and sacrifice for the purpose of holiness in Christ. Her holiness was Christ's purpose. Both her, the church, and her, your wife. He has purposed in her that she would be holy and blameless before Him. He was purposed for His church that she might be sanctified and cleansed. And He did so purposely. He prepared for her to be holy through the work of the Word of God. He washed her by the water of the Word. He planned from the beginning for the holiness of His people. And He purposed an intention and action. Let me show you from Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. I would like to point you many places, but let me this morning stay in the context of Ephesians. He says, So then you, as Danny mentioned to us, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So you are His, you are united to Him. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What is the church built on? How has the church been prepared? How has she been washed and ready for the Messiah to come? On the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ loved his church in such a way he communicated to her. He promised to her. He made intention. And he kept that. He promised that, that she would be holy. He wrote to her. He spoke by the prophets. And He speaks to you by both the prophets and the apostles in promise and intention. And you live at such a time where it is not just the washing of the water, the spoken word, the written word of God, but the word manifest has washed you in such a way that this is true now. You have been washed by the water of the word, not just through the promises and intention of the word of God spoken, but the word of God manifest. You have been washed by the water of the word, by the word written, and as the Word incarnate, they are cleansed in propitiation. The Word incarnate, Christ, gave Himself up for her. It is what Ephesians said. He gave Himself up for her that she might be His and holy. It's what First John said, that He so loved her, He purposed for her. For what reason? First John, it's, on, it's just a little higher up on your handout, 4.10. This is love, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. His love for you is intentional, and it is intentional to make you holy. He has done that by the written Word in preparation, and He has done that as the living Word in sacrifice. He was purposed. He was purposed for the sanctification of His people through the Word of God. Men, you must be men who know not just the Christ, the living Word, but His Word written in authority to you. You are responsible to be the one in your home that leads to run to Christ. And if you are a leader in Christ's people, 
any kind of leader in Christ's people. Let me say better. If you are Christ's people, what does Colossians tell us as we've been studying it? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that you might teach and admonish, encourage and rebuke. And again, if that is God's general command for his people, how much more so for you in your marriage? You must love her, not to please her, not to please you, to please him, to sanctify her, to be sanctified in that work. A Christian man loves to die to himself, not because he loves dying, because he loves his Savior who died. He rejoices in sacrificing for his family. He rejoices in suffering for his family. And he rejoices in the holiness of his family brought about by the word of God manifest in Christ and promised through the word of God written by the apostles and prophets. He loves her and he loves her intentionally. He loves her sacrificially and he loves her for her sanctification, not his pleasure, for Christ's pleasure. Husbands are to love their wives for the purpose of their sanctification. Because there will be sanctification. Look at verse 26 again. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is a probable statement, a probable statement that will be fulfilled. This is not saying maybe this will happen to Christ's people. It is saying this is the factual probability of what's coming. His people will be sanctified because of Him. And then in verse 27, He gives again a reason. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor. He is sanctifying her that she might forever live before Him. That she, the church, would be His people and He will forever be their God that they will dwell forever in perfection, that they will one day be splendor, they will be honored, they will be glorified, they will magnify before Him. They will display His beauty as His bride. He has a purpose in this. And she does so without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The purity and the beauty of Christ's church, that it will stand before Him. Husbands, are you purposed in such a way? Many of you men, you've got a five-year plan. You've got a 10-year plan. You've got a 20, 30-year plan. Do you have an eternal plan? Are you looking at your marriage intentionally saying, this woman before me, this woman who God has given me, she will one day stand before Christ holy and without blemish without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She will stand before Christ free from sin and free from tears. She will stand before Christ like Adam and Eve stood before each other, naked and unashamed, completely vulnerable and not insecure, comforted in the love of Christ. And husbands, I know you fail. I know you fail. Your wife knows you fail. You know you fail. But are you living your life that you might be an example of that life without tears, without sin, without the burdens of temptation? Are you living your life in such a way because you are waiting for it? You are pursuing purity. 
Or are you playing games and knowing that Christ is going to fulfill it for you? Is your love for Him? If it is, love your wife. Love her. Live that she might be sanctified her by Him. Live that one day when she stands before Christ next to you, no longer your bride, but all part of the bride of Christ, you can look at her and say, I knew this would be who you are because of Christ. I longed for this day with you. No more temptation, no more suffering, no more sin, no more intimacy that reminds us of our need for Christ because of our own sin. But full sanctification. Don't live for that to happen someday. Live today because that's going to happen someday. Love her intentionally. Love her sacrificially. Love her not for her pleasure and not for your pleasure. Love her that she might be sanctified because in Christ she will one day be. Revelation 19, 5-9 as the completion of Christ's eternal work comes. He has eternal plans for His people. He has sacrificially, intentionally, purposefully loved His people in action that she might be holy and blameless, that she will be what he is to be. The darkest days of your marriage prepare you for the days when you will look at one another and see what you have prayed Christ would accomplish. Because he will. Don't let the suffering of your marriage be a constant reminder of the sin of earth. Let the suffering of your marriage be a constant purpose to reflect on the grace and forgiveness that is Christ. Have a marriage of repentance and faith. Be quick to forgive one another because you love her and because you long to respect Him and to submit to Him. Live longing in that. Give yourselves to it because it is intended to reflect to you Christ and His church now. And church, you will be His bride forever. Revelation proclaims it. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Christian, you are that bride. You are here to make yourself ready for that day. You are here to be as He has planned you, as we saw in the beginning of Ephesians. He has purposed for you to be holy and blameless before Him. And you might think that is too much. I know you Christian church people, I know you live like this. I know you're holy and you're great. I can't accomplish that. I can't be you people. Well, let me encourage you. You're wrong about who we are, if that is your feeling. And I want to encourage you. You need to know who Christ is. Because though in verse 7 it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give thanks to the glory of God, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It clarifies how she has made herself ready. Verse 8, It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. It was granted to her because He loved her 
intentionally, actively, sacrificially for her sanctification. She did not work hard to buy the dress of her holiness. He handed it to her. This is yours. Put it on. Be holy and blameless before me. There are many things in marriage that reflect that. A woman does not save to buy a ring in our culture. Why? Because a man is to provide it. I don't maybe here, maybe the man should be the one buying the dress. I don't know. But we have cultural things that we do to reflect this. But it is not our culture that dictates our hope. It is Christ. And He is the husband who has provided not just a ring for His bride and promise, but has provided all things for her holiness. That has given up Himself that she might be holy. She is to clothe herself with the bright and pure linen that He has given her. For the fine linens is the righteous deeds of the saints. As Philippians says that He has prepared good walk, good works that you might walk in them. He has purposed your life in such a way that we can trust in providence. You often look at moments of your life and say, God brought us there at that time for this reason, and you see the providence of God. But let me encourage you, there are not times of your life that God has not brought you somewhere for a purpose. He brought you here this morning that you would hear the clear and true teaching of the Word of God. And I pray that He has been faithful to use my humble words to work that in your heart by His Spirit that your hope might be in Christ. Maybe you joined us this morning because your marriage is struggling, because you are hurting, and you want to fix it. Like all humans, you want something to change. And Christ knows what you need. God knows what you need. He did not give us a list of five points to a better marriage. He said, wives and husbands dwell on Christ and His church. Because Christ and His church is the whole reason you have a marriage. It is His purpose for your marriage that just like all things, it would reflect Christ. And like all things, it will one day bow before Him. And when it does, we will be those who bow, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give the glory of God to Him. Glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. Bride, make yourself ready. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Not that we can dominate the culture, so that Christ will dominate us because He is ours. Let's pray that He would be so faithful to allow us to do so. Father, we thank You that You are a God who is good and gracious. We thank You, Father, that You are faithful in such a way that we do not know. I thank you, Lord, that husbands are not Christ. We would all be failed. But I thank you that you have given us grace to cause to live like Christ. I pray you would help us, Father. I pray that you would give grace to the, the women and the wives of our church and the husbands of our church as we strive to do things that are beyond us, uh, things that sin and Satan do not want us to do. But I pray, Lord, you would help us to live in repentance and faith dependent upon your Son, knowing it has been granted to us to live for Him because His love was intentional and sacrificial and saved us that we will be sanctified forever before you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.